morning, everybody. I told Tanner earlier that I kind of felt sorry for him, trying to get applause <clears throat> for not being late. And I, the only person I could see applauding was his mother. So <laughs> anyway, but at least someone likes him. Um, he also announced the Thanksgiving dinner, and I want to request something of you. Um, it has been about two years at least since we've done that. And in those two years, um, the Lord has brought a number of people to us that are now part of our congregation that weren't the last time we did this. So my request is, and I will be roaming around next Sunday checking on people, don't go sit with someone and eat that you've known for 35 years. Okay? Um, this is a good opportunity to get better acquainted with people that the Lord's brought to us in the last couple of years. And so I want us to take advantage of that. Um, and I will sort of be your conscience and um, walk around sacrificing not to eat first. You guys can go ahead. I'll gather the strength um, and make sure that you are visiting with people that <clears throat> you wanna, we want to welcome. I'm going to do a lot of skipping around with Scripture today, which I usually don't like to do, but um, in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, <clears throat> there are several scriptures that I want to read. <clears throat> and if we were to give this a title, I would take the title from, I know some versions are a bit different, but in almost every version, there are a couple of words that m a number of times appear. Two little words that Paul writes to Timothy, but you, but you, now try to make that clear in a bit here, <clears throat> beginning in the first letter to Timothy, <clears throat> the fourth chapter, <clears throat> beginning with verse one. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving, by those who believe and know the truth. <clears throat> then in chapter 6, beginning with verse 3, Paul's reminding, in this case, servants how to deal as Christians with 
unkind, unbelieving masters. <clears throat> Over 50% of the people in this day in the Roman Empire were slaves. So instructions about how to function as a Christian slave spoke to an awful lot of people. <clears throat> and in 2, verse 2, if you have believing masters, don't despise them because they are brethren. Serve them and so forth. 3, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is <clears throat> proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. <clears throat> then in Second Timothy, the third chapter, beginning with verse 1. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 3, 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. From such people turn away. Then in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, beginning with verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. Now those are the passages that refer to perilous times, using that phrase in 2 Timothy, perilous times. But second, there is also everywhere in this letter power to triumph let's read some of those passages <clears throat> back to first timothy the fourth chapter after mentioning that in the latter times some will depart from faith and so forth we pick up in verse 7, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself rather to godliness. 
for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Then, still in 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter, 11 and 12. Here's that phrase again, but you, O man of God, flee these things, all those that are wrong, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Then, <clears throat> again to 2 Timothy, verse, or chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Then, if we'll just maybe in your case look across the page to chapter 1, the seventh verse. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Then, still in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. You have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, there's that phrase again, continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> then, finally in Chapter 4, verse 5. Well, I think I'll reach or read 2 also. Priest the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come, which we've just read, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they'll gather to themselves teachers who will scratch their ears, telling them what they want to hear. But you, there's that phrase again, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. 
finally, in the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy, the 18th verse. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> I don't think there's, I don't need to spend any time trying to prove we're in perilous times. These are dark days. They're unusual days. For most of us, they are new days. New in the sense of the depths of depravity that we are witnessing, the stunning departure from truth. I mean, even mathematical truth. Two plus two is under assault. Everything that is coming at us seems to be unusual and unsettling. And we don't know what to do. And I want you to notice that much of what's coming at us, I know there's all kinds of practices that are going on that are new. Things we've never had to deal with before. But the fundamental thing that hasn't changed, most of what we're dealing with is not initially deeds, acts, practices, but teaching, doctrines, thoughts. That's the first thing we're dealing with, a shift in the basis by which we determine our ethics, our behaviors, what we do, what we don't do, what's right, what's wrong. It's the foundation beneath that that is being destroyed. And that is unsettling to us. We, we, we hardly know how to reacquaint ourselves with the landscape because it's changing so rapidly. I, I don't recognize. I don't recognize. Now I know I'm ancient. But I don't recognize the, the society I grew up in. Um, if a teacher, if a teacher in any of my public school days swore in class I mean they'd face hell on earth maybe lose their jobs even my coaches who I knew some of them were godless they would never darken the door of a church and, but they would boy they'd nail us good if they heard us swearing and whatever They'd nail us good, knock that off. Not anymore. That's one little tiny slice of what we're dealing with today. My daughter-in-law was shunned by people in her church. And I won't tell you what church she's in, but it is a supposed to be 
a Bible-believing church. And I mean of the same kind of doctrine that we are, that I preach and believe with all my heart. And she was shunned. She got over it in four or five minutes. But she was shunned by a group of women in some different small groups in the church. And they had a little, I'm, I, I don't know what you call it. I'm not into technology at all. I'm not into Facebook or any of that stuff. Um, but nevertheless, they had some little group, and it was called, I'm a Christian and I swear. This is nuts. Totally crazy. And I want you to notice too, the scriptures that we read here. Was there mentioned opposition from the world? Yeah. But most of it, most of what Paul told Timothy, Timothy to look out for was those, he said, who turn away from the faith. The worst opposition that we encounter today, the most dangerous, comes from the so-called church. It's the church that can far more subtly teach falsehood. They know the lingo. They're smoother. They know how also, to use a current word, they know how to cancel you with sanctimonious kind of attitudes. We're, I'm sorry that you don't, aren't compassionate. And we'll pray for you. And I'm always reminded of good old tart-tongued A.W. Tozer. He said the mafia should take lessons from the church. The mafia is too messy. I mean, they'll leave you with your head hanging over in the curb and blood running in the gutter. He said the church can disembowel you so cleanly and so smilingly that you don't even know you got disemboweled. He's right. Paul's warning us here about false church speakers, preachers, authors. That's where the subtlety comes in. And we are, as Christians, sort of at a disadvantage. If we're genuine Christians, we take to heart God's word. That we love even our enemies. And when we care for people, and we, don't want, we do want to represent Jesus accurately. He was kind to the unkind gracious to the unthankful we're called to do that and we don't want to misrepresent 
Jesus by, by just being sharp-elbowed and, and caustic and cutting. And, but we can't let... No, this is going to sound... Maybe we'll cut this out of the tape or the recording. We can't let what we would call love which is fundamentally nothing more than syrupy, sentimental, slushy, human sentiment. We can't let that blind us to error. We can't do that. We have to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God, regardless of which way it cuts down to family. I cannot change my theology for my family. It's amazing the number of people that do that. Let's take something that was long time ago was new. Now it's not. People living together without being married. That used to be scandalous. That was clearly, that's not right it's unbiblical it's it's against the word of god well many many churches don't even bother with that anymore and to say it you got to kind of you know cringe a little bit and and i i mean this i i don't want to offend you we're in we're in that kind of a day but it used to be that things that were wrong were pretty well understood even by the world. But the church now has, under the guise of love and compassion, began piece by piece by piece to endorse things that God never did endorse and teach that, well, Pretty much, we know this. I've mentioned this, but there's only two or three people in hell. Stalin's there, Hitler, and um, you know whoever, maybe Saddam Hussein. It's a lonely place there, because everybody is going to heaven. Listen, that's a lie. Jesus said. Few there be that find the narrow, difficult way that leads to life. And he said, many crowd the broad way and the wide gate that leads to destruction. And then again he said, and many there are that go that road. That's not a thing of glee. That's of course not something that we're happy to say. But the idea that we're in a world most of who accepts the truth and walks in the truth is not true. The problem with the church, I think, and, and I think we're all susceptible to it. We like to get along. Most people. 
You don't want to be thought of as a jerk. You don't want to be shunned. You don't want to be thought of as somebody that is, you don't want to be around. It's always got some issue to pick at. You don't want to be like that. But we can hardly help it. And we've forgotten. Jesus said, very plainly, he says, the world will hate you. <laughs> and he said, it's, they will hate you because they hated me before they ever hated you. Our whole way today, in at least America, in trying to reach the lost, is to make ourselves as absolutely bland as possible, as unoffensive as possible, as likable as possible. We, we want to appeal to the world in a way that they, they like what we preach, they like who we are. And again, I'm not saying that we are just trying to find out how we can be obnoxious. But if we preach and live genuine Christianity and we walk with Christ in this evil world, we will be despised. We have to face it. John Wesley, when God called him to begin preaching in 1738 in England, he was, he was mobbed, chased out of town, places that would even let him stay overnight and maybe preach in their home or preach on the front step to people in the street. They would tear the house down. Now, we're not talking about, you know, 4,000 square foot houses. We're talking about, you know, humble little clapboard places or sometimes even sod huts. But they... they They'd tear the place down. He was so accustomed to that and so accustomed also to the preachers in the churches of England that would forbid him to ever preach again. There was the capacity to preach. You could be a traveling preacher. You could show up. We find it even in the Bible in the synagogues. In the synagogues, the synagogue ruler would read the scripture and whatever else, and then he would notice Paul and Barnabas and whoever, a few people sitting there that were visitors, and they would say, um, men and brethren, do you have something you want to say? And Paul would stand, and he would speak the truth about the scripture, stir the whole place up, usually get thrown out. Well, that was exactly what happened with John Wesley for decades God did a work unlike any other work through England and the English-speaking world to start with in the Wesleyan revival, the Methodist movement. But reading Wesley's journal, later in life, he went to a village that he had been going to for decades and had appointed preachers there. And he would ride a circuit all over England, Ireland, Scotland. It'd take him almost a year to come back to London. And he came into this village where he said in his journal, when he first went there, he said, children were 
cursing and fighting in the streets, and he said it was just godless. As a result of his preaching and his Methodist preachers ministering among them, the town was converted. It was just cleaned up. Taverns were closed. It, it was Christianized. And he rode in on one occasion for his annual trip through that town to preach. And the stores emptied and the merchants came out into the streets. And they stood there and clapped at John Wesley as he rode in on his horse. I don't know what I would feel if that happened. Probably thinks, I would probably think I'm doing a good job. Not Wesley. He wrote in his journal. He said, have I stopped preaching the cross? Is the offense of the cross ceased? It bothered him that he didn't have tomatoes, rocks, stuff thrown at him. But he thought, right, we mark the accolades of the world as approval. But God doesn't approve of it. That's the day that we're in. We have to beware lest we succumb to the the siren song of let's just all get along. Doctrine is critically important. There is a little verse here that I, I think most preachers, I've told it to as many preachers as I can think of whenever I've had the chance. Paul wrote Timothy in these letters. And he said, take heed or give careful attention to the doctrine, meaning the faith, the stated, the Apostles' Creed, the, the basic faith of Christianity. He said, preach that. Why? He said, if you persevere in giving hearty attention to that, you will save your own soul and those who listen to you. That means that preaching truth is eternal destiny affecting. Failure to preach it will damn the preacher's soul as well as those who might take it to heart themselves. Doctrine matters. Teaching matters. The careful word of God matters. We're in the reason these are perilous times as they were in Paul's day is because of the cunning deceit of false teachings. And they don't have to be very far off. Just enough that continuing to carry it out to its logical conclusion 
you're a mile off. Now, let me give you the points I was going to give you if I'd have gotten to this earlier. <clears throat> How do we do all this, though? How do we triumph in this world with the swirling falsehoods that are everywhere? How in the world do we select out of all of the voices we hear the truth? You know, if your heart is attuned, if you're used to listening to God's voice, you can hear him. I knew my track coach's voice. And we would, when we'd run, of course, you know, hundreds of thousands of people came out to watch us run. There were kids yelling. There were other coaches yelling from the other team. There, and you'd come by the finish line where they'd give you your lap time. And I, I most of the time ran two mile, the two mile, which is back before they even had metric. And they, we just started cooking meat when I was <laughs> discovered fire. It didn't matter how many voices there were, all kinds of voices. I didn't have any trouble picking out my coach's voice. And you'd go by and he's 61, 62, 63, and you'd know. I need to pick it up a second or two, I'm okay, or I'm going out too fast and I'm going to get myself, I'm going to, about the third or fourth lap, I'm going to hit the wall. That's what we have to listen to, is that still small voice, and he never says anything that isn't already written in here. He'll never contradict this, ever. So any still small voice I might hear that I read is I think boy that's you know it kind of that's a new thought maybe it is okay that we do X he doesn't ever contradict it, this because he wrote it so what do I do how do we deal with perilous times perilous times and how do we get a hold of the power to triumph over it. Three things. One, we need to remember. Remember. Paul told Timothy, he said, you've known, remember all the way you've watched me, the persecutions I've gone through, the preaching I've gone, uh, taught. Remember that. And he said, you've known the scriptures from, in his case, fortunately, childhood. Many of us may not have that privilege, but once we find God and the Scripture, we can rapidly get at the Scripture. Reading the Bible. It won't kill you. There are a lot of people who have survived reading the Bible. Read God's Word. There's nothing like God's Word for his ability to bring a verse, a phrase, a thought across your path that deals with exactly what you're going to face that day or what's just been on your mind. There's no one like God who knows how to, as the proverb said, speak a word in season just when I need it. Remember. Remember the word of God. Remember God's faithfulness. 
remember that he, he never changes. What's wrong is always wrong. What's right is always right. And he, he says, I'm the Lord. I change not. This world does. The ethics do. The lists are right and wrong, but God doesn't change. Second, resist. We have to, in our own hearts, but also, whether, depending on the circumstances, we have to push back. We have to push back. No, that's not true. Now, the way in which we do it, God has to help us be as kind as we can be, but we have to be firm. We have to resist. We have to, I talk to my grandson. What do, you, what do you hear in class, in school? Do you hear this? Do you hear that? And if he says, well, you know, we hear this, I, I don't say, and this is, I'm amazed at parents, frankly, just completely amazed. Well, I, I don't want to press anything. I don't want to just jam it down their throat. Well, you jam vitamins down their throat. I mean, you'll tell them, you know, drink this. Don't be drinking sugary pop. I tell you what, we're not going to have it. When it comes to God and heaven and hell and right and wrong, well, I just don't feel. Listen, I don't know what your kids will end up doing with it. It's their responsibility with the light when they get old enough. But at least they ought to be able to say, I know what my parents believed. And I, I pray for opportunities. You don't want to just barge in. But when you have to speak to your family members, you have to tell them, listen, this is wrong. You can't go that path. It's wrong. We have to resist. And wherever we find, whether it's friends, whatever we're doing, and people come up with these false notions, you have to correct it. You might make them mad. I did hear one person make a statement doesn't mean to be, he didn't mean to be reckless, but a preacher I've heard before. They say to us Christians, if you offend them, you may drive them away. His point was, they're already on the road to hell. What am I going to drive them away to? I need to do all I can. Again, I'm not talking about being a jerk. But there's times when the, the best thing that's ever happened to me is to hear rebuke. And someone short <laughs> call me on the carpet. Proverbs says the wise man is grateful for rebukes. The person who reacts against being corrected is already in trouble. I can't really do a whole lot more damage. So, resist verbally, resist in my own heart. 
stick to the good old way. Finally, rely. Rely on God for grace for the moment, words for the moment. The longer I preach and walk with God, there is nothing, there's absolutely nothing that we can't endure, can't go through, can't survive. There's nothing that we can't do by the grace of God. And in the moment, we can call on God. Lord, help me. Help me know what to say. You read Nehemiah. Nehemiah was grieved over the destruction of Jerusalem, and he was a captive, and he brought the wine to the king who could take his head off. He was just in a bad mood. And he'd been praying, God, give me a chance to talk to this king about rebuilding Jerusalem. And the king asked him, he says, why is your face so sad? Well, right there it says, I called on God. He said, I said to my God in his heart, give me favor in this man's eyes. Then he said, I'm heavy hearted because Jerusalem, the city of my fathers, is torn down. The city of our God is torn down. Well, that's what I'm talking about. There's those times it, it, that quick. God's there. He knows. He can help us know what to say, what not to say. But he's right there to help us. And he said, don't worry about what to say because it isn't you talking. It is the spirit of my father speaking who's in you. Of course, we've got to make sure he's in us. But that's how we triumph. He didn't give us a spirit of timidity. He gave us a spirit of power. Power to recognize truth. Power to speak. Power to stand. Grace, strength, and rely on the God, he said, who will carry me safely to his heavenly kingdom. These are bad days, but you want to be on, I want me to be honest with you. I think, I, I think that good can come from it. It will help us recognize more clearly truth from error, light from darkness. It'll, it'll help separate the wheat from the chaff. And it'll stiffen our resolve and strengthen us. God can help us in these times. Actually, leisure and affluence has been far more damaging to the church down through church history than afflictions ever been. So, we can make it. But you. But you. I don't have to be like them. I don't have to go the way of the world. We can be different. And God will be with us. Let's pray. Father in heaven,
as we sit in the quiet of the sanctuary this morning, we have to realize that your truth must reign in our lives. That doctrine does matter because doctrine gives us direction on how to follow you and how to walk in your footsteps. And as our pastor shared that story this morning of his track coach, Lord, it struck me that a couple of things in that that I'll hang on to personally is Pastor Dan wanted to hear his voice because he wanted correction. He wanted to know where he was at. He wanted to know how to do better on that track in that race. And Lord, we have to do the same thing. We have to want to walk better with you each and every day. We have to want to walk more in the truth each and every day and follow doctrine and, and your direction. And we do that, Lord, by listening for your voice. You're faithful to speak to us. That we know. Because we've all, every one of us here, have experienced you speaking to our hearts. But Father, here's the key thing. We need to be obedient. And in our obedience, that's when we will follow doctrine and direction toward you. And we have to remember, Lord, that obedience, we don't do that in our own strength. We do that by your grace. So you call us to walk a certain way. You call us to listen for your voice. But then you give us the grace to live that out, that we would walk better each day. So, Father, as we're running around this track of life, may we listen for your voice. May we listen for correction and update and guidance and direction. And when we hear your voice, by your grace, just help us to be obedient, Lord. Because then it brings you glory, as we learned about this morning. All of this is meant to bring you glory. So that we can also echo the words that the Apostle Paul told Timothy centuries ago. That after each day, because we've done this, we've walked with you, we've listened for you, we've been obedient to you by your grace, bringing you glory, so that we can lay our heads on the pillow each day with this confession. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I kept the faith today. Help us be a church that will do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you guys, you are dismissed. Have a great day, everyone.